you know, it takes care and feeding as well. So before it's going to do more for us, we're going to have to give it that care and feeding. So no, it's not doing enough. That's Benjamin Coral, VP of Cybersecurity and Privacy at Coates. Benjamin is here to talk with me about SOAR, security orchestration, automation, and response. We're going to chat about whether SOAR is fulfilling its promises, what other automation might help, and implications about standards as well. But we're not just going to chat about what's wrong with SOAR. We're going to talk about its successes as well. Benjamin, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Oh, really appreciate it. Really honored to be here. Thank you. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in InfoSec and a little bit about your day job? Absolutely. So it's hard to believe, but uh, I've been around the IT industry for about 25 years, since about the mid-90s. I was extremely fortunate to land in an IT role in the core, again, back in like 93, 94, mainly desktop support, Unix admin, beginnings of like NT support with like a NT351. I've earned all of this gray hair that you're looking at there. Did that for a few years. If I want a family, I don't think the core is going to be able to uh, really allow me to afford it. So I worked my way out. But because I had that Unix background, I started uh, doing consulting, got on the HP UX, some Solaris IP tables. And people are like, ooh, you understand how to route packets from uh, point A to point B, how to stop it. So they're like, you've got to come over, do some routers, you got to do some switches, and then you've got some Unix. So that IP tables really started me down the, the journey to, okay, now to the firewalls. Now you got intrusion detection. And then for the last 20 years, I've been doing nothing but, but InfoSec. For our listeners, there's not a whole lot of gray there. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, All right. So we're here to talk about SOAR today. And I know some folks know what SOAR is, some don't. So why don't you tell us briefly, what is SOAR? What does it stand for? What is it? And then we'll we'll start diving into the details. Absolutely. So as you can imagine, SOAR is an acronym. It's not talked about us going and flying or doing anything like that. It is an acronym that stands for Security Orchestration Automation and Response. So that's what SOAR stands for. What really is it? So it is a security solution platform, framework, uh, whatever you want to call it, that's intended to improve or really to enhance the effectiveness of the security operations team or the SOC. And as such, you're starting to see more and more instances of this pop up in these managed SOCs, these MDRs or managed detection and response. And what they're trying to do is this is a tool that truly is intended to address what I believe is one of the most significant problems in our industry, and that's alert fatigue. As you start walking around, I walk around RSA, I know Black Hat's going on this week, you're gonna walk around and everyone's gonna have a solution that fixes one problem. All of those solutions are gonna continue to create alerts, which want our attention, which means somebody's gotta do something with it, they've got to configure it, tune it, tweak it, you know, get it, and then it's gonna start alerting saying, please take care of me, please take care of me. Uh, so the SOAR is going to work with us and help us to orchestrate or automate, uh, and then that R being the, the response, how do we take and make the best use of these alerts that are coming in? So the premise and the promise of it, it's not just about orchestration and automation, right? Like there, there was kind of a subtext to it. Like 
they're they're aimed at a certain segment of us, and they're saying they're going to deliver and save problems. And it's not just about alert fatigue, right? The sort of the the initial pitch behind Sora was bigger than that, wasn't it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, well, th- there was a lot of promises. There, there still is a lot of promises. If you read the white papers, it's going to say, you know, we can, you know, help with your reporting. Uh, we can help you with your alert response. That it's going to go from minutes down to seconds, or it could be days and hours, and it's now going to be down to seconds. So they're going to help again with all of that. They're going to help with staffing. Uh, you know, we talk about not having enough analysts, not enough qualified people for the roles that are out there. This is also going to help reduce the the need for headcount as well. Uh, and that's how it was touted years ago. Uh, we, we've right. not seen that come to fruition or anything like that. But that's some of the promises that, that were out there as well. And then other things were, you know, improved reporting, helping with your metrics, helping you show that ROI, you know, what are we doing? Those are some of the things that SOAR was promised that it was going to do as it came out. Some of it is there, uh, but I don't believe anywhere near what what was promised yet. So kind of the same story as uh, UEBA, I think, in, in, in a lot of ways. Didn't follow through with everything it claimed it could do. There's as much overhead babysitting, and I think, as, as it claimed to replace. Yep, yep. You know, you end up with a lot of these tools that, yeah, they may be saving me from having headcount over here. But but they take their own headcount to even yes. manage, and I've got a different headcount now doing you know administration and, and monitoring of this new thing, and I think there's a lot of sort of uh, you know pass the headcount around the shop, but but never actually reduce it. And you know I want to point out too as a CISO, right? Like I'm not all about reducing headcount. Like this is one of the arguments a lot of vendors do, and and I'm not about reducing headcount. What I'm about is saving cycles. I want to reduce workload and task lists, right? Because any given headcount that you know anybody who walks into the shop in the morning is going to have their punch list every day, right? And they know that I'm working a little bit on this and some on that and the majority on this other thing. And and the idea is everybody is growing and going and evolving as they do their careers and as they work in the shop. They're getting better at what they do. So for me, the tool shouldn't come in promising to get rid of headcount. The tool should come in saying across your four or five people that do all these things, I'm going to cut this chunk of the simple boring stuff out of the mix and let them focus on the more interesting and more complex problems. And so everybody gets to elevate and grow. And that's the real promise there. But I, I, I'm with you. I don't know that we've had that promise fulfilled. <laughs> so I guess that's the first real question I got on that is, you know, what all is SOAR automating and is it enough, right? Because it seems to me that that automating the protective technologies or at least helping otherwise in the shop, like the, 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 there's so much more. If SOAR just took one more step, I think there'd be a lot more savings. Like, what do you what do you think about that? What what else could be automated and what would that look oh, like? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, sit here and saying, you know, are, are we automating enough? And well, is it just going to automatically do it for us? Uh, and I think you touched on this. You know, it takes care and feeding as well. So before it's going to do more for us, we're going to have to give it that care and feeding. So no, it's not doing enough. But again, we have to come up and say, what do we want it to do? How can we do this? And then how can we configure the tool to do more for us? So humans are still going to need to do some of that configuration. That ML is it's going to learn. It really is. Then it's going to come and prompt us and say, hey, I saw ABC happened and you did D. ABC happened and you did D. The next time ABC happens, it's going to pop up and say, do you want to do D now? And the human's going to have to sit there and say, yes. And from that point forward, it's going to do that because it has now learned. So it's not just going to automatically start doing these things until it starts learning a little bit more. But now you're, again, it's what is in our imagination? What can we think to do? How can we think to do that? 
And then how do we start putting that automation in place as well, feeding into the other tools? So this is where integrations are also going to come in. How is it talking to your SIM? Secure incident and event management. Uh, I've heard a couple different acronyms thrown in there. Uh, but how's it feeding into the SIM? How's it feeding into your EDRs, right. uh, your, your endpoint detection and, and response tools as well? And this is, you know, how do we get it to be more automated? How do we do, as you said, that one more step? And that's where, you know, EDR is going to come in for some of our proactive or protective technologies. Get the intelligence being fed into there. I saw this happen. Now we want to take action. Now that SOAR is going to open a playbook. And then it's going to push stuff down to that EDR to say, take this action. Quarantine this machine. I want this machine to no longer be able to communicate. There's no reason for it to, so shut it down. I want you to block it. I want you to create an alert. I want you to get a human's eyes on the screen here, but I need it to take certain action so that the bleeding right. has been stopped. So that that tri- right. triage is going to. So don't just sit there. Don't just record something happened. Don't just write it to a log file. It has to take action and it has to help me protect. So that's where you get that full example of talking to the protection technologies themselves, Absolutely. right? And, and that's and that's that's sort of always been the dream, I think, is if 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 it can be sensed and if it's truly an ABC pattern, rather than just prompting to do D, do D now, real quick, like, <laughs> <laughs> then check in with the human and say, by the way, I did D. And the piece that's missing from that whole equation is what about uh, the trouble ticket system? What about change management? What about, you know, if if I've got a tool that's empowered and capable of running around making changes in my protection schema, you know, tweaking and altering configurations, setting settings, disabling, to your point, maybe quarantining something. I want that same tool to be able to talk to my change management and, and my help desk systems so that the humans have a trail and a track record. You know, and if it's, let's say it's three in the morning, like there ought to be some, some fine tuning rules, yep, right? Yep. So th- 3 a.m. you tell it, you know what? You got carte blanche. Just let us know what you did. <laughs> but at 8 a.m., maybe check in with me first. You know, like like there's a, there's some other fine tuning and some other, you know, policing around the policing that you would want to do there. But I get that. I'm, I'm completely with you. I, th- I think I think there's one step still missing with SOAR. And I think it's for SOAR to SOAR. <laughs> it's got to it's got to take that one last step, right? Aiming towards the protection or at a bare minimum change management and help desk, right? Absolutely. Integration with you again, your your change management system, your incident management systems. Uh, I really need the the sword to be doing some of these repetitive tasks uh before it ever gets to to that human. If there's that uh, virus alert that that's gone out there, do you run the MD5 hash? And feed that into the ticket. Do you upload that file to VirusTotal and then bring me those results and put that in the ticket? Do these sorts of things before you ever assign that ticket to a person to look at. Those things should already be in that incident ticket. So I log on. You just saved me five minutes of work. Tedious tasks yep. that a human would have to do, yep. but you save those. And that's five minutes of savings time times how many type of those alerts do you get on a monthly basis? Right. You just saved... 20 hours Yep. Uh, if you're getting them a hundred times. So uh, those are the sort of repetitive tasks that are easy to automate. But if you're not feeding into that incident management system, you're losing. Uh, yep. So so that integration is absolutely crucial. Yep. That's no, that's key. And that ties right back to what I was talking about, about the task list approach rather than the headcount approach. That 20 that you're carving off, I can guarantee you is the lamest 
most boring, most tedious, <laughs> shouldn't require a human brain 20 hours of the whole stack. And yep. every single person who's committing those 20 hours, I can guarantee you would be thrilled to find out they could spend that same 20 on something more important, on something more complex, on something that really does require a human brain. So I, I'm with you. I think I think that that automation piece, we're like, we're so close, you know, but we're not there. Yep, yep. Now, now, what about? Let's talk about standards, because obviously, in, in you know this this hypothetical world we built, where SOAR is much more automated, and talking to all these other systems, and, and taking protective steps, and filing tickets, and you know going to Virus Total and comparing the results of a hash upload, you know all these kinds of things, that would all require one heck of a set of APIs and standards. So, even ignoring that hypothetical world, what about the standards for SOAR today? Right? You know, I'm I'm thinking of the Threat Intel world where you've got Sticks Taxi. And, and you've got all these vendors that agreed to this standard and agreed to these protocols and said, here's the format of the data. Here's the transmission standard for the data. Here comes your thread until it sticks taxi. You can onboard it. You can absorb it. And you can work with it. Are there standards out there in the SOAR world? Because it still seems to me it's a bunch of competing entities and, and there's no there's no uniform or unified standard there. Am I, am I wrong? Am I missing something? I, I don't think you're missing anything. But it's just like, you know, all the other different standards, you know, the, the, the RCs that are out there. Just take a look at email. I mean, we're still not using one standard for email either. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy. So it's what is it going to take for our industry to finally just come together and sticks and tax your fantastic solutions if people would jump on board. Right. Uh, so I really, really am hoping that these vendors that create these source solutions are going to, again, go to these things that we're calling standards, they're going to adopt them. They're going to incorporate them. They're not going to try these competing standards or these competing things. Uh, they're really going to adopt these ones. Yeah, I don't know if people are familiar with what Sticks is or what Taxi is, mm-hmm. uh, but it's really, you know, Sticks is what, you know, what's happening? What are we seeing? What indicators or patterns, uh, you know, can we share? Uh, some of the TTPs or you know, tactic techniques and patterns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dig for that one there. But what are we seeing? What do we want to share? What do we want other people to know about? And this is real. And then how do we convey that information? You know, put it in the format that everybody can adjust it, the, the same thing. So that's where Sticks is going to come in. And then you you take a look at Taxi. And Taxi is, of course, the, the transport mechanism, the how. So yeah. now that we know what we want to communicate, how we want to format it, put all of that into place, now we're going to take a look at Taxi. And Taxi is going to be that vehicle of how we're going to communicate it. And it's a standard. Why can it not just be adopted? Therefore, all of us can put these things together and say, if this is communicating in, in this way, we're going to accept it. And that's going to make the, the API calls and the API integrations so much easier when you're using the standard. We're not going to have to sit here and wonder, should we open this up? How are we? Is it okay? You know, What type of uh, analysis do we have to do? Or the all of these are going to be third-party assessments that are going to have to be done on these applications that's still going to have to happen. But when you're following standards, that makes those assessments just a little bit easier. So yes, I like you, I wish these would just be largely adopted and it's less for us to have to do. We're yeah. not having to re-engineer. We're not having to redevelop. We're not having to come up with new things. Uh, we're just integrating. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, endpoint security, cloud protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. 
Check out Upticks by visiting Upticks.com. That's Upticks.com. Thank you, Upticks, for sponsoring this episode. I've talked to some vendors, too. There's kind of this weird in-between stage from we all compete with one another to we've agreed to a uniform standard. In-between, I've seen some vendors open source their stuff. Yes. Here's a standard that we're giving out for free and open sourcing, but but I don't know when vendor A does that if vendors B, C, and D have any interest whatsoever in becoming part of that open source community. It, it It's almost like vendor A has to throw that out there, get this massive groundswell of, of the people joining that open source community, and then grudgingly the other companies will participate. Yep. But I think the first company that throws that out, like, you know, hey, look at us being cool and extending the olive branch, and everyone just ignores it, right? Like it's 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 a token effort at best. Really coming together as a consortium and coming up with those protocols and standards, I think, is the way to go. And, you know, and, and I, I normally don't get into too many brand names on the show, but I'm thinking of right off the top of my head, three store vendors that all have a good, you know, reputation, all are well-known and established. And I don't think either one of them, you know, any one of those is talking to the other two in any way, shape or form. I think they're all completely off in their own world. Yep. Each one doing their own thing. And I'm sure there's a there's a dozen smaller store vendors I don't know about that are in that same boat, right? No, no. And I love the term of co-opetition. Yeah. Yes, they are competition. I mean, all in it, you know, for profit, trying to make money. But at some point, there's got to be that that cooperation of this is what we're seeing. This is a uh, you know how we're communicating this. It's just going to make their customers better. It's disappointing when we see people just not agreeing, not working together, not sharing that information, because that's what all of this is about. Anyways, how do we make the cyberspace better? How do we make technology better? And how do we make all of our organizations better, more secure? And yes, from a risk-based perspective, I get it, but we are working here to secure. Uh, And then how do we share this information? I saw this. I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but I have seen it. I want to share it. Therefore, everybody else. My analyst just spent 18 hours digging into this. It's real. It's actionable. This is the intel that I, I want to share now so that other people don't have to put that type of effort into it. Right. How do I do that? Right, right. It's, it's you know, I'm, I'm almost picturing the ISACs and how they share information manually and saying, let's take that paradigm and automate it, Right. And then let's turn around and take the alerts coming off of whatever we're learning and throw those back out in the same automated way so that all parties can share. And now it's not just, you're not just talking about tool A and tool B in my shop now seeing the same thing and communicating and coordinating, but even, you know, back to that co-opetition model, right? Where even my peers in the industry, like we can all share and source. It's the ISACs are scratching the surface of where we could be in terms of this kind of sharing. And, and, and the ISACs have, have done the one critical and most fundamental step in my mind, which is recognizing, yes, we're competitors. You're bank A and I'm bank B and he's bank C and he's bank D. But you know what? It's in our interest collectively to know what the heck's coming our way to what's hitting us, to what stuff's being tried. You know, MITRE attack framework is another great step in that in that sort of goal. And, and it, it seems to me that we can do better just as an industry. It seems to me we can do better as individual technology play, you know, all of that stuff, right? Absolutely. So <laughs> let's switch gears a little bit and talk about price tag. This is one of the things, you know, when you talk about that commonality and that getting everything in one place, immediately my mind goes to, and again, I don't often talk brand names on the show, but I'm going to go ahead and say Splunk. This idea that, you know, gee, if we aggregate everything and get it in one place, we can consolidate and bubble up. And and everyone got on board with that paradigm and then Splunk realized everybody was on board with that paradigm and suddenly the price shot through the roof. And I can't tell you (laughs) how many vendors I know now or how how many shops I know now are looking for other vendors and ditching Splunk because of its prohibitive cost. Did SOAR 
shoot itself in the foot in the same way, or has SOAR managed to keep itself affordable for the folks that might actually need yeah. it? That is probably my major rub with most SOARs that are out there, and, and that's going to be the price tag. So if SOAR is really supposed to come in to help us reduce the workload, the effort, and truly help what I believe would be the smaller security teams, then they need to be more out-of-the-box automation, and they need to be more affordable. Uh, they've got to be quicker to set up, quicker to get that return on that investment, but they've got to be more affordable. Right now, they're like only available for the Fortune 50 and Fortune 100 companies. Uh, and then they're going to have to have a dedicated person that's you know just dedicated to it for three months, six months, just to get it set up, working, get those automations, get that orchestration, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. all of those things that are going to be set up. Now, as you said, you know that dozen other companies that are out there, absolutely some promising up and comings are really looking at the SMB market. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're going out there. They're you know making it easier to set up. They're having cloud-based solutions that have free tiers. Uh, and uh, yes, the one you mentioned started with that as well. Yeah, yeah. So I can see it, you know, starting there and, and moving as well. But I do believe that they're using some of the cloud technologies that are out there. They're more open to this medium-sized companies that are yeah. out there, which is very encouraging because that's a market that they need tools. They need capabilities. They don't always have dedicated security teams. And if they do, they don't have a deep security team. Therefore, technologies like this would be such a huge boost for them, but they've got to be able to afford it. It's interesting. I, you know, My last shop was 50,000 employees and my current shop is 15. That was my transition was 50K to 15. So obviously I showed up at the 15 person shop with this head full of all these big giant solutions, these Fortune 100 solutions. And I had to very quickly figure out what scales, what doesn't, where are the poor man's alternatives, where are the SMB alternatives, where's the, where's the S alternative? I won't even go M or B, you know, M on that one. Like we're small. And I was assuming I was going to have to come up with the poor man's alternative to everything. And some of these vendors, and we're talking EDR, we're talking SASE, some of these vendors came in quite affordable. And actually willing to work with me at my size. I couldn't believe it. One of the vendors was like, oh, yeah, we just launched our whole SMB program. We'll license, you know, at such and such rate for such and such size, 15 heads, no problem. It'll be this tiny figure a year. I, I was floored that one of the big players was willing to do that. Now, another one of them, you know, to be fair, um, oh, we can absolutely work with you, but we have a minimum of 100. And I'm running the cost and looking at the math. And the math actually ended up being affordable. But I was still paying for a boatload I wasn't getting. And, and you know what I mean? Like, like that kind of irked me. So it's doable. It's doable for the big players to work with the small players. It's doable. I, I'm living proof of that because I got a heck of a tech stack built up now. And, and, you know, I was able to do it all on this 15 head target. So I'm with you there. And I think some of them maybe need to learn that lesson. And I think, I think Splunk's getting a bit of a spanking back to them <laughs> with some of the competition in the market now. And hopefully, hopefully we're going to see that, you know, change their pricing model, but let's, let's switch gears here. We've been picking on SOAR pretty much for 23 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought what we could do is let's end the show on a positive note and let's talk about what it does well. Let's talk Absolutely. about what the benefit and the value is. Like, obviously, you know, you're passionate about it, but you're also getting some value out of it. I know you are. So talk to me a little bit about what you see are the positives with SOAR. No, and I think this is really what you touched on earlier, you know, sort of stealing my thunder there, but uh, it's all good. You know, what does SOAR do well? So uh, re repetitive tasks, really, really easy. It's going to shine there. Uh, I can take things that are tedious for my people to do or just things that are, again, repetitive 
and have that solution for me. I think I threw it out earlier. You know, MD5 hashes is going to be one of the ones uploading files. Just throw it out there. You know, hey, you know, try an iCar. Found it. Uploaded it. Did all of that. Uploaded it to your ticket. All those things that are going to be great. Abuse mailbox. Things that come into your abuse mailbox. A human will not have to touch this as soon as you set that one playbook up. Anything that gets sent to your abuse mailbox, it gets uploaded to a sandbox. It takes the results, feeds that into your incident ticket, closes that ticket, even responds back to the end user. Thank you. Done this, done that. And as long as it, all the results that come back are, are within the norms or the expected, that ticket fully got worked. I can now run my metrics. I can see how many tickets got submitted and all of them were closed within 90 seconds instead of a person who worked on it for 10 or 15 minutes. So my analysts are absolutely thrilled that they don't have to work these anymore. They get to work on the really challenging things because it's tedious work, but it's necessary. End users are getting these things in their mailbox. They know to send it to the security team, to that that abuse mailbox. I've now gotten that completely automated off their plates. Another use case was like failed logins. Playbook for, for failed logins where it sit there, assesses, is this real? Is this not real? Based on the results and everything. Engaging an end user, you know, send them a, a note, uh, reset a password, expire a password, you know, that sort of thing. Again, just takes that type of event off of an analyst. They're no longer being engaged. So I'm saving time and I'm allowing my people to work on the things that are more challenging, are more interesting, not going to be the same mundane task every single day. And then it gives growth opportunity as well, because as something becomes routine, as it becomes mundane, now they can then create that playbook. So it's causing them to grow. It's causing them to, to mature, working from that you know tier one analyst to the tier two to uh, work, working their way up. They're learning the, the different technologies too. And now they're having to learn the integration because they're in the SOAR or they're in the SIM. They're seeing this. Now they want to create this to engage the EDR. So now they're jumping into the EDR. Now they're having to learn the EDR in order to do this. So the SOARs are really allowing my people to grow, to expand. And it's dropping down on some of the, what I said was one of the more uh, prevalent issues out there being alert fatigue. Yeah. You know, SIMs are great because they correlate data. One of the things they do is increase the amount of alerts right. that are vying for for my time, whereas the SOAR is actually helping me reduce those alerts. Right. Uh, and that's what I think the benefit of the SOAR is to our programs. So you are seeing some successful help desk integration. You are seeing successful email integration. Um, there's some that's some really good playbooks. I like to I like to hear that story because we talked about before, you know, if we were getting more protective, how we'd have to do help desk and change management and all that stuff. Um, you're, you're part of the way there. It sounds like still, still scratching the surface. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. I got a new question for all my guests at the end of the show. We've, we've switched questions up. The new question is what has surprised you the most in information security? Man, I was all ready for what keeps me going. And now you change it <laughs> on me. I'll go back to, to early on in my career, uh, to where it is now. And what surprised me the most is the openness and the willingness to share. We were just talking, you know, uh, sticks, tax, you know, sharing ISACs, yeah. all of that. Very early on in my career, there was information hoarding. I'm not going to share because then you don't need me. And comments of RTFM, 
uh, right. you know, read the manual, you know, yep. don't come to ask me, here's a book, go, go read, find out yourself. And then you'll know for the next time. And I'm like, or you could have just taken 30 seconds, explained it to me and I won't come back to you next time. I have really seen how the industry has grown, uh, and how people are so willing almost to bend over backwards to help people. Uh, there's so many of us that have been doing this a long time. We've done great things, interesting things. We all have different experiences, but when you run into a problem, you throw it out there to the community and people will step up and say, this is how I solve that problem. So it's that openness and that willingness to share that has surprised me in the last decade being in InfoSec. That is a fantastic answer. And that's a great evolution to witness, right? Because some of that hoarding of information, it wasn't just, you know, I'll remain valuable if I'm the sole holder of the info, but... I think the nature of it being security information, there's this reticence to share. There's a lot of people that are like, well, you know, I, I can't reveal my security posture. And, and I think that was a driver as well. And, and to your point, ISACs were, were this lovely moment of people starting to realize, gee, we can get past that. And, and, and I agree with you. I think it's been a real trend that, that we're seeing more and more cooperation. Heck, we've got InfoSec podcasts now and we have, you know, <laughs> all this kind of stuff going on too. So it's, that's a fantastic answer to that question. That's, that's going to be one of the keepers on the, uh, on the poll when I track all this stuff and publish it. That'll be one of the that'll be one of the highlights. So listen, Benjamin Coral, Vice President of Cybersecurity and Privacy at Coates. I appreciate you coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>